Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott, and on this episode, I'm chatting with Nico Del Judas of Molecule VFX, who has recently been working as VFX supervisor on the show Dr. Death, which is currently airing on Stars Play in the UK and on Peacock in the USA. Based on the podcast of the same name, Dr. Death is inspired by the true story of Dr. Christopher Dunst, played in the show by Joshua Jackson, a rising star in the Dallas medical community he was building a flourishing neurosurgery practice when everything suddenly changed. Patients entered his operating room for complex but routine spinal surgeries but left permanently maimed or dead. As the victims piled up, two fellow surgeons, neurosurgeons Robert Henderson, played by Alec Baldwin, and vascular surgeon Randall Kirby, played by Christian Slater, as well as Dallas prosecutor Michelle Shughart, played by Anna-Sophia Robb, set out to stop him. You'd expect with a show like this that most of the VFX work would be recreating and emphasising the horror aspect of the Doctor's grisly operations. However, due to the scheduling changes caused by the global pandemic, a lot of molecules work shifted to having to do things like alter seasons, greening trees, and over 170 other invisible blended effect shots. Along with Nico's work on Dr. Death, in the interview we also chat about some of his other projects. This includes the wonderfully bonkers adaptation of Grant Morrison's comic book Happy, which features the titular cartoon Blue Unicorn, the superb billions starring Damian Lewis and Paul Giamatti, CBS's Elementary, and the Apple TV Plus Sesame Workshop series Helpsters. If you'd like to hear more behind-the-scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio. This will also give you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast, which brings you all the latest TV, film, and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest UK and US TV premiere dates. Here's the interview with Nico Del Judas of Molecule VFX. <laughs> Thank you for spending some time to come on and talk about some of your work, particularly Dr. Death, which is the new show you're working on, which weirdly is going out on Stars Play over here, although they've just announced that we're getting Peacock, but it's not going to wear on Peacock over here. It's going to wear on Stars oh, wow. Play. So, oh, wow. <laughs> before we get into the actual show, do you just want to give a little background of how you got into VFX work in the first place? Yeah, sure. I always knew that I wanted to get into like media-based arts. Ever since I was a kid, I was wanting to get into like, video games or movies or TV or something like that. I had a background in, in studio art and then went to school of visual arts for visual effects, computer animation. 
And then I made a thesis film and my uh, professor at the time owned the molecule and uh, still does and hired me after I graduated and been there ever since, been six years. Wow, that's awesome. So yeah, straight out of school into, yeah, awesome. (laughs) Dr. Death is the thing you've been working on most recently as VFX supervisor. I know, obviously I've seen the trailer, I know a bit of background about the show. So presumably you're working on a lot of medical shots and how are you approaching that? Because I know given that it's about this guy who's essentially a serial killer, I guess, um, you're pushing a bit more of the sort of gore and horror aspect rather than just like you would in something like a medical drama. Yeah. I mean, going into it, I expected a lot of like blood enhancement and um, wound cleanup and and whatnot. Um, Surprisingly, that wasn't the majority of the work that we did. The majority of the work that we did was um, like location enhancements because the pandemic had kind of shifted around schedule Ah. Uh, we had to do like a lot of a lot of greening work, a lot of CG trees. There was like mainly a, like a location where we shot in like New Mexico, and it was you know it's like a desert there, so we had to make it look like Texas in July. Um, <laughs> wow! <laughs> and it had to look like a suburban sprawl. Yeah, so it, it's funny, yeah, because I went into it thinking that we were going to end up doing like a lot of gore stuff, especially coming from the last project that I worked on with the showrunner Patrick Manis. It was Happy, which is just a ton of action gore. <laughs> A little wacky, but yeah, we did, we did some prosthetic cleanups and we also did, um, like some blood that's like splattered out on the floor. But yeah, the majority of our work I'd say was like greening work. Right. Okay. So how do you go about changing a a season like that? And, you know, I mean, you said the pandemic kind of shifted stuff around. So, I mean, presumably you got all this stuff planned out and then the pandemic hit and you're like, oh crap, we're going to have to like shuffle everything around. So what's the sort of process you go through for changing seasons like that? It's like something that they didn't anticipate entirely. So, you know, I found myself on for certain days that there was just, hey, we have tons of trees in the background for this. We didn't expect this whatsoever. But, you know, it's like the leaves are now changing from from green to fall or autumn leaves or, hey, now we have no leaves at all. How are we going to put leaves on these trees? So our team at Molecule has built out like a library of CG trees. (laughs) uh, And we basically just, you know, we have some assets where we chop the trunks off of where we have like specific CG branches and whatnot. And we'll track a shot in CG and then place the branches here and there. You try to prevent as much as you can with crossing on set, uh, like foreground actors crossing the background. Yeah. Uh, But it's just one of those things where it's like we have to shoot in the time frame that we have and it's unfortunate that it happens in, in fall or, or winter, but we just have to use the best methods to get the shots to be looking like summer. Yeah, I mean, that's a crazy, just the way the schedules fall. So, I mean, as well as doing sort of things like changing seasons, presumably set extensions and that sort of stuff are a major part of, of what you're doing. What sort of stuff were you doing on that side of things? There's two major scenes that we worked on. One is the Texas Neurosurgical Institute. It's like in the Dallas suburbs. That's what I was saying was shot in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. So as far as set extensions, we had to make it look like a giant suburban sprawl where there's just like tons and tons of houses that just look similar, you know, like you're living Mm -hmm. in the suburbs. But, you know, for our backgrounds, it was a lot of like foreground actors crossing desert, which required a lot of roto. And then just using multiple map paintings for different angles, you know, planning out specifically like the plot of land that we were shooting in, knowing the eastern direction, southern direction, seeing the Dallas skyline in there, making sure we had the continuity between all shots and multiple artists. And it was spread of like between three or four episodes, pretty sure. So, you know, when you're working on something like a set build as big as that, and you have these tight turnarounds, you have to ensure that you have the same consistency between multiple episodes, multiple artists, multiple shots. 
So that was a big set extension piece that we did. And then another one that we did was we did Denver Airport, which if, if you look it up, it has like these tents atop the airport. It's like a very specific style and a very specific, like people that see that airport, it's, it's very memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we shot Queens College and we had to put the CG tents above Queens College and, and make it look like it was Denver. We had to like green all the trees and... I mean, it's a huge set extension, but I think it was pretty convincing in the end. Yeah. Well, what would you say is the most complicated shot you ended up having to do on the show? I'd say the the TNI stuff. Yeah. yeah. The, the New Mexico set extensions. We did some prosthetic enhancement for like a neck wound. That was pretty difficult just because the prosthetic that was on there wasn't fully believable, but it required like, you know, just a bunch of cleanup around it with like a moving camera. Um, but I'd say, yeah, probably the most complex shot was uh, the T&I sequence. Mm. When it comes to doing that sort of gorier stuff, do you have references for that sort of thing? Or is it uh, yeah. books of like really horrible wounds and stuff? Right. Yeah. I mean, like when we were back in the office setting, you'd be walking by like people's monitors and you'd see just disgusting images of stuff. <laughs> be like what are we doing (laughs) but i mean like with with anything in visual effects you kind of just want to match the reality if you're not matching references then kind of just making things up in your own head and obviously that's not going to be conveyed to the audience in the same way that you see it so Mm. um you know like with the airport we were looking at exact references of of the tents um as far as lighting and, and whatnot too for the gore stuff yeah like how fast does blood spill out when it's leaking on the floor it's like the viscosity of it and like thickness of blood versus water. Uh, we had some syringes that, you know, we had to make uh, like the, the watery consistency of the, of the blood that we use practically look more viscous and thick blood. So, you know, it's like you're always looking at references um, mm. just to make sure that we're on the same page and it looks like the real world. Yeah, those subtle little things. I, I love, yeah, because if you're doing a big superhero like action thing, there's effects in it, but you know there's effects in it. You can clearly see them because superheroes don't exist. Right. I love things like that when you're kind of, you know, the stuff that you don't notice is <laughs> great. Exactly. You know, I got into visual effects thinking, hey, man, it's like we're going to make Guardians of the Galaxy or we're going to make these Marvel movies movies and shows and yeah sure there that is a a genre of visual effects but i think a really challenging genre of visual effects is the stuff that you're you're trying to not see um Mm. the stuff that just the audience will never know that it happened and i think that if you could if you can achieve that it's a really successful accomplishment on your part and your team's part and it's different because you know when i was working on happy with patrick and brian taylor it was more in-your-face visual effects. You have CG characters, you have, you know, these imaginary friends flying around and, you know, the audience is watching it being like, oh my God, he is tripping and he is like, or he has imaginary friends. Like, these are blatant visual effects. Whereas Dr. Death, it was a completely different approach trying to tell the world of Christopher Dunch in in the real sense with visual effects that just aid the story as opposed to being the story. Mm -hmm. So I like the genre of visual effects where you can't notice it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I love... That sort of thing. I mean, when a lot of the digital effects companies will post background videos up on YouTube, but I love watching the ones where there shows where you don't think there's that many visual effects until you actually go and see it, what they've <laughs> done to it. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. You see them wipe through with the breakdowns and it's just like. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. You mentioned Happy There, which was a phenomenal, phenomenal fun series. And as something which one of my co hosts on the main podcast show is a huge fan of the comic books as well. And I was like, how are they going? 
going to do that. Right, the Grant Morrison comic book's so great. Yeah, it's a phenomenal book as well. What was your involvement on that show? Were you involved in creating Happy himself or was it the sort of surrounding stuff? For Happy, I joined on the pilot as onset supervisor and Mm -hmm. then continued. um, It's such a massive show with visual effects that it's a multi-vendor show. Yeah. Uh, Happy specifically, as well as the CG characters were handled by another studio uh, called Axis. And then the other visual effects like fire, gunshots, wounds and whatnot was handled by Molecule. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of vendors on it, but as far as like onset supervision and, and being there every day with the show and, and being on set, I was there for right. for all of it. You know, you have to basically get references for every take of where you have CG characters in, in the shot. Uh, and Happy was the number two. Maloney was the number one. So, you know, he's, he made it into a lot of shots and there's a lot of stuff you can imagine just as far as set extensions and it felt like every other shot was a VFX shot at, at times. But, yeah. Um, definitely the type of job that kickstarts you into a really intense amount of visual effects. So for me at that time, it was like, I was just thrown into this really heavy, saturated world of of visual effects. And I learned a lot from it. Yeah. Dealing with a character, well, any sort of CGI character, but I mean, specifically something like Happy as the onset supervisor, what are they actually acting to? And is it the sort of tennis ball on stick thing with that? Or is it like (laughs) nothing there? or? It's funny that you should ask. Uh, I mean, in the beginning, it was very, really poor man style where I kind of had a, I mean, I had my chrome ball and I had my diffuse ball just for lighting reference. But then I also had like a, like a prop puppet, um, you know, going into the show. Yeah, it was like, it was like something I picked up at Toys R Us, but I knew exactly what I, you know, I, I came from knowing the bear, like <laughs> I knew what I needed, but mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily have the 3D printed model at that point. Yeah. So in the later seasons, we got like a 3D printed model that was like painted uh, a gray diffuse and, and that's great for lighting reference. But, you know, you need something there on set for people to see and just obviously for the artist to have as like a, a good reference for lighting and shot composition and whatnot. But as the show went on, I think Chris Maloney has like an amazing imagination and his response to camera cues and, and everything is he's a, he has his whole world basically built out and he understands, you know, where happy is, where happy was. So I think we got into a groove as, as time went on where the doll became less of a influence, but yeah, you know, you still try to get in there every every shot and just, you know, get the things, the elements that you need for the artist in the end. Just run and hold up the doll and then, you know, set up the shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I always think that must be a, a really tough gig for an actor to basically working towards nothing. That's got to be quite a, a hard job for them, I would have thought. Right. I know it's kind of it's kind of, de- of like his character in the show is very de- like delirious and, and crazy as it is. So <laughs> you kind of get away with like, if something doesn't line up or if he's looking like, you know, around, yeah. there's some forgiveness in there. But especially for a lot of directors that came onto the show, it's like, you know, there aren't many shows that have been done like that. So it's like a learning experience for everybody. And um, you definitely still have to follow the rules and the, and the physics of bylines and, and whatnot. Um, but you're just doing so with a ridiculous looking puppet on set. So. <laughs> It's a challenge, but it's a fun one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Some of the other shows you've worked on, Billions, I noticed you worked on, I guess a lot of that is sort of set extensions and, and that sort of more invisible stuff yes. or something like that. Yeah. Right. Are there anything surprising that you worked on on that show that people might be kind of shocked that there was a VFX shot in there? Yeah. So um, it's funny because I'm working on Billions now. Um, mm. It's back. 
And, yes. um, you know, they were stopped in season five through the pandemic, but there were some scenes in the season that I feel like people wouldn't notice, you know, there's visual effects, as you say, we shot up in Mohonk, Mohonk mountain. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's a scene where Axe is watching like a seaplane land on the lake. Uh, but you can't actually, you know, land at that location. Right. Uh, so we had to put in a CG seaplane for that. And I think my favorite shot of that sequence is we needed to get like the landing where the seaplane hits the water. You're seeing the water spray up. So what we did was we shot an actual seaplane on the East River here in Manhattan. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then I shot plates up at Mohonk Mountain of the background. We rotoed out the seaplane in, in the water. And then we just tracked the back plates that I'd shot in Mohonk. You have to light it up like the same way and get it at the same time same time of day, hopefully, so that the lighting interaction works and everything. And then we just come to the background plates into the landing. If you look at it, you would see like queens in the background, but we switched it out to be Mohonk. <laughs> nice, nice. I noticed one of the other shows that was was on your list of things, Helpsters, the Apple um, <laughs> Sesame Workshop right. show. I mean, that's obviously mainly a puppet show. So what sort of stuff were you doing on that for them? Right, Helpsters is such a great show for Molecule. And just, you know, for me personally, because we're not killing people in it and you know has a really positive impact on the world i think mm -hmm. um so i mean that fulfillment is amazing in and of itself it's a good step away from from the other mediums that we're working in but yeah. um my involvement in helpsters was sesame street has always taken the approach where if you have a small puppet like elmo if you have like you know any any smaller puppets they're usually being operated from under like a set piece that conceals the right. the puppeteer with Helpsters, it's kind of like this new age telling of Sesame Street with new characters and, you know, like Cody, the main character is like introducing the concept of looping and, you know, certain themes in modern day youth that when we were kids, like we didn't think about like with technology and whatnot. So they're trying to introduce like this new age of Sesame Street. And by doing so, they also wanted to include like full body, small puppets. Right. So Cody, um, instead of just being fully operated from under a set piece, as well as Mr. Prim, there's puppeteers in green jumpsuits. I see. Oh, it's hilarious on set. Um, but, you know, and they're operating these puppets and then we have to key out the puppeteers in the green suits, which helps. But there's always Roto involved with that. Um, mm -hmm. And then we're replacing the background. So like in the show opener, Cody like hops up from behind the desk and she starts dancing on the table. That was like full green screen bodysuit puppeteers and the back plate was the other helpsters like dancing. So there was a lot of that. Uh, there were some select shots where we had to do like a, a CG rocket as well as like a CG water tower. We did like a full music video with Neo, the R&B singer, yeah. which was a highlight for me. Uh, I always loved Neo. So we did like full green screen with that. It was really cool. Yeah, it's not a show where we have consistent visual effects throughout every episode, but we have specific highlighted shots that are really cool, really unique. And as always, like the message of the show is the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's a great show to work on. Yeah. And like you say, it's a really interesting change of pace from like, you know, the usual stuff you'd be doing, which is lovely. You get to do that. Right. Rather pressure. Yeah. 
out of all the stuff you've worked on over the years, is there one particular shot that really stands out to you that was either very difficult or interesting to work on or something that you were really, really pleased with at the end? Yeah, definitely one that stands out to me is on Elementary with Jai Lee Miller and, and Lucy Liu. I love that show, yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there was a shot where, uh, and so, you know, you're in the UK right now, but we had to sell New York at London. So what we had... We had said, I mean, production doesn't want to send like an entire crew to the UK sometimes, you know, it's a huge cost to do so. Yeah. So what we did was we shot the scene in New York and it happened to be rainy. And I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like if it's overcast or raining, this is amazing. <laughs> because I know that when we go to London, <laughs> chances of it being sunny are slim. Yes. Um, and it was like during spring too. So I was like, okay, perfect. But it's basically Johnny and Lucy are at a brownstone style, like stoop and then they walk off into like a crane shot that rises up and you see them walking out into the sunset uh, quote unquote type of thing but you know we have like the new york city taxi cabs and city bikes and, and whatnot in the shot so what we had to do is we had to send like a vfx splinter unit out to london so i went out there and then we got a crane same camera setup it wasn't a motion control shot but we basically reenacted the shot as close as possible and then shot a ton of plates. And then for the final, we basically 3D tracked both shots and then lined them up in a in a way where we projected from the cameras onto some 3D geo and pieced it together with some CG vehicles and different bikes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we threw in uh, the telly boots in there just for the iconic <laughs> London look. But, yeah. you know, that shot was just a really surreal time of time of my life just because you're going to a different country for a single scene or a single shot. Yeah. And the way that it came out in the end, it was like everybody had rest assured by the end of it just because it, it came out great. I actually want to rewatch that shot now that I'm talking about <laughs> it. But, you know, there's just certain certain shots in, in your life that you're like, oh man, like I'll, I'll forever remember this. And that is definitely one. Yeah, I think I remember the shots you're talking about actually and you wouldn't have known at all. I mean, it, you know, really, really solid work. It's, uh, uh, yeah, and I, I love that show as well. It was fantastic. So moving on to the last few questions, anything else you'd like to mention in terms of stuff you're working on at the moment? I don't think I could say anything about what I'm working on. I'm not even sure if I can, if I could have said I'm working on aliens, but. Well, um, we know it's, we know it's coming back. I think you're okay with that. I know they're filmed with the dead, so you're fine (laughs) with that, I think. I don't think there's anything. I mean, there are reoccurring seasons that we're working on at Molecule for specifically um, for me as a visual effects supervisor. I have a couple things coming up, but more so like the stuff that if I hop into like CG or if I work as a CG artist, like we're working on some projects that, you know, are just reoccurring seasons for us. If you look at the Molecule's roster of shows, that we've been working on a lot of them are just seasons that are coming back and yeah. reoccurring so just as a sort of side to that obviously with everything shooting at the moment and dealing with the pandemic on top of that you mentioned the pandemic changing things for the shooting of Dr. Death has that been continuing on through other shows that are coming back right now where you're having oh definitely you know to I don't know, remove probably not masks off people but you know that sort of things that have cropped up from the pandemic that you're having to deal with yeah for sure I mean there's like two pieces of it it's like One, people are running out of things to watch. So you feel like shows are like the demand for new content is just super heavy. So you're inevitably busy from that. Yeah. Uh, But then on top of that, it's like, hey, we're shooting in seasons that don't work with the script. But what are we going to do? We have to do it either way. It's kind of like the scenario of Dr. Death. 
so essentially we've become CG farmers in, in a sense in compositing farmers uh, <laughs> yeah. with the amount of like greening that we've done, which we joke about, but um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff that like comes up with just greening in general in set extensions, which is, it's just fun. I mean, tree shots, there's an art to them. Obviously, you know, if you have no leaves on a tree, it's not like you could just color correct the existing leaves that are brown and turn them green. It's not mm-hmm. just like a like a compositing color-based graining technique. When you're working with like CG trees and different types of trees and, and leaves and whatnot, you have to have like a specific branch build out or a tree build out. And, you know, there's like an art form to it. But, you know, anything in excess, you're kind of like okay, what's the, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? But that definitely doesn't take away from like the love of the art of greening. Yeah. I guess at one point there was sort of, I'd see CG showreels of, of yeah, VFX companies talking about kind of moving people closer together because when they were first starting the pandemic stuff, they'd have to shoot with like people slightly further apart than they needed and that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I feel like, yeah, because there's like different zones now and there's so many COVID like regulations in place. Set life now is, far different from when it was back in, in January. In January, it felt like, oh my God, are we supposed to be doing this? Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like the protocol is so tight between PCR and rapid tests and then just people being vaccinated as well. It's like, it's far more relaxed, I guess you'd say, even though the regulations are tight. Yeah. So last couple of questions for you. Sure. Firstly, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? So <laughs> it's funny because I haven't really had much time to get into any new shows, but uh, one of them recently that I feel like I should have been on, but haven't been on is uh, Peaky Blinders. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's a time period piece yeah. from what I've seen. And, you know, coming back from London to it, like makes me really want to like watch it. <laughs> I'm in that UK mode. But I mean, I love set extension stuff. So I feel like I have to get into that show. I feel like they're trying to, as we're saying, they're trying to sell reality, but in a time frame that none of us actually physically saw with our own eyes because we weren't alive at that time. So you're trying to sell the seamlessness of it as well. But we all know that it's, that wasn't actually there um, because of the time frame. So that, I feel like that's a little mind boggling. I watched the first couple episodes, but yeah, um, obviously going to have to run through all these Dr. Death episodes. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Peaky Blinders because, I mean, I'm just outside Birmingham, which is obviously where it's based, although most of it is not shot here. There's a place called the Black Country Museum, which is one of those places that are recreations of that period. So they've got rows of houses and that sort of stuff. So the Black Country Museum is where they shoot some of it, which is also relatively local to me. And the rest of it, oh, a lot, wow. of, lot of the bigger buildings, they shoot up in Liverpool because Liverpool still oh. has a lot of the old architecture. So that's how they mirror it quite a lot. Um, gotcha. I'm looking, it's in Dudley. Yes, Dudley. it is. Dudley, Dudley's not that far from Birmingham. They're, uh, that's where they shoot a lot of the Peaky Blinders stuff. And, and then they use VFX work to match things and map it all together and stuff. Right. I know they shoot some of it there and they shoot some of it in Liverpool as well. And then there's there's obviously a few other places, but very little of it is shot directly in Birmingham because all the architecture's changed now. So. Wow. Yeah, um, even when I, I never got to explore kind of like the countryside of England, but when I went to um, Winchester, that's where I was like, where am I, first of all? But like a certain pieces of like ancient, it feels ancient, but yeah. the architecture and everything feels very real. Whereas here in the States, you know, we haven't been around as long. We have things that emulate that, especially in like Montreal with like old Montreal in, in Canada, where we try to emulate like ancient or like um, old architecture, but it still doesn't have like the complete realism when you see like stuff that has actually like the wear and tear on stuff that's been around for so long. Yeah. Um, so 
I think, man, if P-Line is actually shooting like real stuff that you guys got over there, kind of help. It, not kind of, but definitely helps and takes away from the amount of visual effects you have to put in for that extension. Yeah, so certainly it does some of the it. job. <laughs> yeah, certainly some of that. Um, so, I mean, my last question is usually if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, past, present, or future, which show would it be? But I think you've just answered that by saying Peaky Blinders. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think I would have loved to work on The Sopranos for sure. I'm not even a yeah. think. I, like, uh, Sopranos, definitely, without a doubt. You know, my family is like, a, they're a bunch of Italian Americans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think if, if I think if I worked on that show, they they would be the, the most proud in, ever. Uh, but you no, know, aside from that, The Sopranos, just James Gandolfini, like being around greatness like that. Um, and in its time, especially with series that long running series like that on HBO for the craze of like Game of Thrones and um, Breaking Bad just being such iconic long running shows. Like I feel like Sopranos was the beginning of, of all of it. And it was such a twisted, t- like telling tale of, you know, a mobster and the psychological drama behind it um, mm-hmm. being Tony Soprano. So um, and it was shot on film, which is, I mean, I love shooting like just film 35 millimeter film photography. Yeah. So, and living in this like digital world that, you know, you can shoot as many takes as you want and be just like closed down, like any like photos that you want. Um, it kind of takes away from the artistic, I think, integrity of, of how you set up things. Cause you know that you could just shoot an unlimited amount of stuff where yeah. I feel like the art form behind film, you know, you only have a certain amount before it's too expensive and whatnot. So it kind of puts everybody in like a more intense process of like, we got to get it right the first time. Or I feel like there was like a mindset change that I didn't get to experience with that. Now, you know, shooting everything five or eight K. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think that that show, that show was phenomenal. And I definitely would have loved to work on it, especially working with people in the industry. It's like, yeah, man, they call back on Sopranos. Like, Sopranos, yeah, working on that was like, and then when they instantly said that, I'm like, I love you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, I was like, tell me more. Like, tell me more. Like, I, I cannot wait to hear more. Um, but yeah, it's, leg- it's legendary, I'd say, like, especially yeah. for, you know, working in New York and, um, you know, yeah. Jersey people. Yeah, absolutely. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal series. I, I, I love, loved that show so i'm i think that's a really great choice i shall let you get back to your date thank you for spending a little bit of time talking to me it's been lovely hopefully we'll we'll get to chat again at some point in the future for sure thanks so much david thanks talk to you soon cheers Bye. All right, cheers. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.